Oh, hey, come on in. Do I have a case for you? We talk about creating a great digital customer experience often, but not all CX is created equal. It's more nuanced than that. I want to know how we can make that digital technology invisible to the customer. So all they know is that transacting with your business is easy. It's frictionless. It's intuitive. You can almost do it in your sleep. And that's why we're talking today with Tom Martin, CEO at Glance Networks. Tom and I are cracking the case of using invisible technology to power a great customer experience because we are CX detectives, real cases solved. I'm Melissa Mishka-Allen, VP and Global Head of Marketing at HGS. Let's get started. Well, Tom, I'm so glad you're here with me as my co-detective. Our two companies have formed a pretty recent partnership, so we are co on a lot of things and very excited about that. Yeah, so am I. And I really appreciate you bringing me onto the show. And I love the whole concept of like the CX detectives because there's so much detective work to really figure out how to improve the CX that our customers, but also the agents uh, use to create great outcomes for our customers. I did not pay him to say that, anyone. But this is why we're great partners and co-detectives. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your background in CX? How'd you get into it? What's your interest in it outside of just being a consumer? Yeah, you know, customer experience for me really started many, many years ago. And it was really about, you know, thinking about how do you deliver extraordinary experiences with customers? And it started back really before the digital came about and thinking about being in the hospitality business. But as you started to really see what's happened in digital back in the early days of the World Wide Web to today, we've realized that everything has become a self-service journey. And when you have that opportunity to recognize that, you know, there's a missing component, you know, the loneliest place in the world isn't the desert, it's the Internet. And, (laughs) you know, people want to do business with other human beings that they know, like and trust. And when you realize that the world has gotten really complicated and that you have to do everything digitally, we realized that, you know, this human piece, this human component married and brought together with digital suddenly is like the winning combination to really deliver the outcomes that businesses are looking and seeking to achieve. Yeah. And so what does Glance do? How does Glance facilitate that connection? Glance helps businesses bring that human experience into digital journeys to drive very specific outcomes. A lot of those are around achieving revenue uh, targets, around like, hey, we want to make this type of a sale. We want to convert these customers in a journey. It could also be part of an onboarding, but you recognize that uh, many people today have the ability to do many of those things themselves. They're technologically literate, but they still are looking for advice. Hey, so I've whittled it down to three things. So what's the right one for me? And you then have that ability to connect emotionally with someone who can understand a little bit more about your situation, provide that guidance to get to the, you know, to that next step. Uh, and I feel like that to me is one of the things that most people have in their own lives. When you think about like how people buy, they automatically are like, oh, you know what? I'm looking for the right stereo. I'm going to call Lisa. She knows everything about those stereos. And when you can be a business that can help people, you know, achieve those goals by providing that level of expertise in the middle of a journey, you realize, wow, you know, we can actually get more people through that journey and have the outcomes that we're looking for. And and you also know that that's why people stay in touch. They have a great relationship and suddenly you're the face of that company. The technology needs to be there, but suddenly it's that emotional connection 
that binds you to that company and to that product that suddenly makes you sort of that lifetime or higher loyal customer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's really interesting about everything that you just said is that I think if you were to ask someone just out there on the internet what Glance does, they're going to say a technology company, right? And you haven't mentioned tech once, which I think is what's so powerful about what you guys are doing is that you're really putting tech that empowers the agent, but you're putting it in the background and you're talking about what is it empowering the agent to do? Right. I tell people, nobody actually wants uh, any technology whatsoever, but uh, it's kind of like the same thing of like, do you really need a car? But we found that, hey, you know what? To get from point A to point B, it's the best and fastest method to do so. Technology will always be there, but people want something else. They're like, how do I get a customer or how does a customer you know get to solving some of these things back to kind of like what a bank is trying to do or any other business is trying to do you realize like i need money to be able to buy this thing to be able to do this thing to live a great life and if the bank can sit there and be like we're going to make ourselves invisible we're going to uh, allow people to get our product and use it the way they can most effectively achieve those outcomes, suddenly you're like, wow, I'm going to use it. You know, the other part that I'll just tell you is like understanding the human condition. Humans take the path of least resistance. They're like water. And so if you can (laughs) remove steps, you know, little teeny steps and reduce that friction, suddenly you're like, that might be the biggest reason why people choose to work with you versus someone else. Absolutely. I love this notion of invisible tech. Was there an aha moment for you when you realized your career was maybe not about tech and was about human experiences or, you know, what in your background made you view tech on that flip side? I've always used tech as an enabler, as a a means to an end. I started early in my career in food service, going to school to be a chef and realizing that, you know, you're trying to deliver an experience because, you know, what Mm -hmm. people can cook at home, but they don't go to a restaurant um, just to eat food. They're going for an experience that they can't have at home. And so you realize part of what you are delivering is like, yes, you might be a waiter serving food, but you're serving and delivering an experience that suddenly it's like, wow, this is a wonderful night out. This is a great. And food happens to be, you know, the medium that you're consuming. Uh, and I think about technology is like, if you can make technology uh, create an experience that allows two people to engage and communicate, and they never have to know how the technology works. It's never really present, and it works in the background. Suddenly, you're like, we've achieved nirvana. Absolutely. And it sounds so easy, but it's so hard. <laughs> it is. Why is that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, like, um, you know, I am Pei, the great architect, always said, simplicity is the art of design. And so, you know, look at Japanese woodworking, you realize, wow, it's like dovetails. It's so complex. But on its outside, it looks so simple. And you're like, wow, the beauty is so apparent. But behind it, it's all these little widgets and connections and joints to create this uh, experience. And I think that to me is what uh, most companies are attempting to achieve, not all actually achieve it, but how do you create simple experiences knowing that technology is the enabler of the experience? Not, you know, because you don't want technology to be the experience. I love that. Technology as the enabler of the experience. That's awesome. Well, now that we have Tom's credentials, let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by HGS. 
HGS has renewed its mission as it evolves as a comprehensive digital and CX services partner. HGS is an employer of choice for roles critical to transformation. Digital professionals, data analysts, automation experts, and CX ambassadors. We leverage our experience handling billions of interactions every year to keep pace with rapidly rising expectations in the digital CX economy. Learn more at hgs.cx. Welcome back. It's time to get into the case. So how does a company start to do that? How do they start to identify what invisible technology is going to empower? Do they start with a customer journey? Do they start with an experience? How do you kind of sift through all of the options out there? I think you start with the customer journey and you also try to start with how customers are also buying and consuming other things, not just within your own environment, uh, because today businesses are really competing against other experiences. And knowing that so many other companies are getting into other tech, who thought that Apple was going to like launch a credit card or Apple Pay, you know, five years ago? I mean, 2007, the iPhone came out. 2010, it was the iPad. You know, Apple Pay just came out a few years ago. And you realize uh, they are trying to solve some of those simplicity issues and recognizing that there's some ecosystem of like, hey, it just works. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. And so if you really start to center some of the work that you're doing around the customer journey, but also understanding other journeys that they're experiencing, you're competing against other really good journeys. And we can always use Amazon as one of those experiences, which is like there's four things that they solved with one click. Who are you? How are you going to pay? Where's the shipping? And what's your billing? Those four things with one button. Hey, I'm just going to order toilet paper. It'll be here tomorrow. It suddenly is like, that's why I picked them versus somebody else. You know, that experience suddenly has become simplified. And I think the other part that so many companies, whether it's banks, whether it's healthcare, is when you can have an experience like that and order something and it shows up tomorrow, you then have to ask yourself, why is it so hard to like buy a car? Why is it so hard to apply for a mortgage? Why is enrolling in healthcare this hard and take so long? My expectations have shifted, not because my expectations of healthcare have shifted, it's because of having better experiences elsewhere. Yeah, that's such an interesting point that you're really not competing within your vertical or industry anymore. You're competing against the attention economy, where people's attention is and what else they're experiencing. Yeah, and you as a consumer, me as a consumer, everyone who's a consumer suddenly goes, I can tell you some of the best experiences I've had. And I'm like, if they offered me this, I'd buy it from them. Yeah, you know, And I think absolutely. this is where companies are like, hmm, that's a really good idea. Maybe we should <laughs> offer those things. And, you know. Because, you you know, you sit there and you're like, everyone has those moments where you're like, ah, this is the best damn experience I've ever had. And you're like, if I'd buy anything from them. And because of technology, suddenly companies are like, hmm, I think we could do that. Maybe we should. And I actually, I Amazoned basically a car to myself through Carvana, right? Like they came, they took my trade in, they brought my new truck and I just stayed at my house and the whole thing was seamless. Everything was handled. It was unbelievable registration hand. I would buy anything Carvana sold me. (laughs) I know. And they suddenly were like, look, we can solve all these challenges of like, oh, I've got to go 
to the car dealer. I've got to go into the business office and they're like, hey, do you want the mud flaps? How about the floor mats? How about the extended warranty? And you're like, no, no, no. How soon can I get out of here? Yeah, but but it took that sea change in technology. And even Carvana, which is you know a tech company, you would probably categorize it that way. Like you don't feel the tech working. I was still texting with a guy who was the guy that dropped off the car, right? Like right, right. it's still going back to your human experience point where you're still connecting with someone. And I felt like I had an advocate, even though he worked for the company, not me, right? Like he's selling me <laughs> right. something. And I'm like, this right. is my guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. And that's a great feeling to have. Have you tried anything where that like kind of backfired or like failed? Like, have you seen it? in customer experiences where this kind of like technology powered human connection just didn't work um, in the, in the past five minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I, I think, you know, when we go back to talking about journeys is recognizing that um, there's many really good technologies that you can employ, um, but there's a dead end. You know, it's like you use it and you get so far and then what? You know, does it take you to the next piece? Does it interface with this? And so I think the part of like really thinking deeply about what your customer experience is, how they want to work, how you you know, can help them navigate some of these things is to recognize that you can't just jump in and use one thing. There's going to be a circuitous you know, or at least a, a path that you're going to need to take them through different steps. And when I see companies be like, hey, um, we need one of these and we're going to implement it. And, you know, they're like, look, it's deflecting all of these calls. And you're like, I know, but it's deflecting them off a cliff and, you know, they're not <laughs> coming back. And you're like, you know, it's not making customers happier and it might not be driving the outcome. Because to me, the outcome is always that we're driving revenue, we're increasing customers, we're increasing feature density or wallet share, you know, all these things that we're trying to do, we're improving, you know, key metrics that, uh, you know, provide indications on loyalty and, you know, are they going to recommend us to, you know, their friends and family, et cetera. So these are key things that you're like, if we're implementing solutions that aren't driving these key metrics, don't do it. When you were saying that, I was like seeing, you know, an IT team being like, oh, this is the tech we need. And the marketing team being like, what? We don't know how to use that, right? So I think a lot of those breakdowns in customer experience happen when you have breakdowns in sort of like cross-functional collaboration within a company. In your past experience, how have you seen those teams kind of come together, like yeah, um, centered around the experience? We were just uh, connecting with a, a customer last week when we were out on the West Coast. And the thing that made those discussions so magical was there was one person, you know, one team that really owned, you know, the experience. And they had brought together four or five different teams that owned different pieces of it. And so when you go back to that sort of example of like marketing and IT in the old world, you know, which is, of course, you know, today, <laughs> There's different organizations that own budget and own, you know, sort of like this is our fiefdom of we own these pieces. But the best companies have organized around saying someone needs to own, you know, the journey, the experience. What is our face to the customer knowing full well that they're going to need to interface with different parts of the business to make it happen, to make it be realized 
but you can't sit there and have different parts of the organization be like, no, we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it this way. It has to be a unified approach. And, and that was what we saw with, you know, this client that we're uh, visiting and working with uh, was one, they brought uh, different partners together, you know, us being one of them and different parts of the organization to sit there and be like, hey, this is what we're trying to achieve. And we all participated to understand how and what part we own and can really help them with. What are some other customer examples of yours that are like really doing things right, you think? I think um, uh, Intuit is a great example um, of a customer that's doing it right. Um, they started off, you know, and you think about Intuit with TurboTax and QuickBooks, you know, we are a software company. We make tax software. We make accounting software. But they've really moved into this world similar to what um, U.S. banks started talking about is Intuit is really about powering prosperity with small and medium businesses. And they started off with us uh, because one of the things they recognized was like, hey, you know what? We have people doing taxes. And guess what? You only do taxes once a year. The tax code changes. And oh, by the way, your life changes. You're like, oh, well, I, I'm buying a house. I'm switching <laughs> a job. And nothing stays the same. And so you never become an expert with it. And so they're like, hey, we need to help people through this process. And in the meantime, you know, they started to help, you know, to be able to collaborate and see what people are doing. They turned on a camera because, you know, what, doing your taxes, eh, maybe a little emotional, you know, like, you know, people are getting anxious and they turn on video and like, listen, it's Tom, I'm here. And you realize it de-escalated the call. It made that personal connection to be like, I'm actually talking with a real person. And through that work, they realized, you know, people were saying things like, I feel like I've got a tax angel on my shoulders. Could someone just make sure I didn't leave anything on the table? And they suddenly were like, can someone actually do my taxes for them? And the, you know, what Intuit recognized is that there was this opportunity. The market split 50-50 with DIY and do it for you. But the economics are completely different. You know, right. 90% is with the do it for you. And they're like, what if there's this space that we could call the do it together space? So you're in a do it yourself. Someone just does it for you, but there's the do it together space and we could create TurboTax Live and QuickBooks Live where you can have someone do it for you. And with technology like OCR, where you, you know you think about mobile check deposit, you like point your phone at the check. It's like click. Oh, that was simple. Oh, deposit. And you can capture images of things like your W-2 and the 1099 mm -hmm. and suddenly uplift and someone's like, listen, I can do your taxes. And suddenly they've created a new business. They've created a huge business around TurboTax Live. And they used to be a software company. Now they've moved into the services business. Why? Because people value having advice and having an expert help them do things that are hard. And, mm -hmm. you know, same thing with, you think about uh, investments, you know, Robinhood and, you know, Fidelity and Schwab, they took trading down to zero. I'm like, okay, are they going to pay us to do trades? Um, <laughs> but what everyone is still looking for is like, hey, should I have bought crypto, you know, last yeah. year? And you're like, ah, oh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, or what's my right, you know, allocation-based mm -hmm. portfolio? You know, I still might need help to do those things. And so this is where, um, you know, Intuit suddenly has created a new revenue stream that just didn't exist. They're in a software business, but they've created a services business that people love. 
um, and it's sticky. And people are coming back because they're like, that's a great experience. And I connected with Lissa and she was awesome. Uh, she was a CPA and really helped me give me some ideas on making sure that I filled up my W-4, you know, going forward on the number of deductions and things like that. So it's suddenly like creating those types of uh, connections with real people right. that suddenly lead to, you know what, when I start my business, maybe I'll use QuickBooks. You know, when it's time to do my taxes, I'm going to use TurboTax again. And guess what? I'm going to tell my neighbors what a great experience I had. Yeah. Yeah. And then going back to the, you know, original premise of kind of the case that we're cracking, there's all these invisible technologies that that services business couldn't have happened if you didn't have OCR, if you didn't have video chat that was real time or video, whatever you're streaming, you know, if you didn't have screen sharing, if that's a, a, like something you're sorting out, like all these technologies empower that experience, but the experience itself sort of arose organically. And that's right. going back to your original point of like, you're talking about a human experience and then empowering them with technology. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, the way the world's going, like everybody needs this. It's not like, oh, only this. It's the pandemic, you know, broke, you know, whatever framework people were stuck in this world of like, no, uh, everything's still working. Uh, the pandemic was like, nothing's working, nothing. Um, <laughs> everything's broken. Oh my God, like, what are we going to do? And you realize that there was this forced familiarity, like everyone became really familiar with digital tools. Mm -hmm. I'm like, who has not used FaceTime? Microsoft Teams, Zoom, you know, <laughs> Zoom became the new Kleenex. Um, right. And because that's how families were staying in touch with each other and friends. And so, yeah. you know, it forced people into this world that they're like, wow, you know what? Um, I might not want to Zoom anymore, but I w I'm happy to connect with Alyssa, my, you know, my bank uh, broker, who's going to help me do these things because then I don't have to drive down. Yeah. I don't have to drive anywhere and I can do it on my time. Yeah. Do you think those connections stay like one-to-one -one, or like if I have a relationship with the bank, I trust that any of their agents, like it doesn't have to be my connection with Tom. It could be my connection with Tom or Meredith or Lissa or whoever. Is that like the ultimate goal? I think for some situations, I think it is. Uh, I think in higher trust situations, it definitely is. In ones that don't require that, I think it can be uh, more of a one-to-many. Uh, let's go to the year 2025 and think about like um, the future of retail because a lot of people are like, oh, retail's going away. There's not going to be any stores. We're just going to buy everything online. But you're like, last time I checked, I'm like, I need to try something on. Right. Like, yeah. Does it fit? Does it feel good? You know, how's the material? Do I like it? Is this like a blender or all cotton or what have you? And you're like, yeah. What if you know you're able to sit there and have that personal experience because I maybe make a phone call to an 800 number, but it sees where I am in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, it's going to route me to the local store. They're going to pick up and they could sit there with an iPad and be like, oh, Tom, yeah, we, let me show you that shirt. And, you know, uh, this has a, some great companion items that go with it. And we do have it in a size large. Should I put it aside for you? And then I've suddenly done some of that pre-work to one know it's, it's definitely in stock. I've gotten some consultation that it's probably something I'm wanting. Now I'm going to invest the time to like go to the store, try it on and then probably buy it because I'm, I've already done the pre-work, but you've suddenly right. found ways to take a digital experience and get people closer to it, to drive people into the store. It's a new way of thinking. Totally. Well, and even what's funny there is that that feels luxurious in a way. It feels like a bespoke, you know, experience just for you, Tom, 
even if whoever is helping you on the other end is doing that with, you know, a, a bunch of Toms. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, so it just elevates your connection to that brand. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that we see time and time again is that when companies are able to deliver an experience that is outsized or something that is beyond the expected, we hear things like having things that fall into what I call affordable luxury. You know, you suddenly are like, look, this is something that I can actually afford. And the experience is, you know, outsized. And so you feel really well taken care of you know, at a price that's very affordable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that becomes the differentiator you know, that you're like, wow, I love this. I kind of touched on this earlier, but I love to dig into like, where have you seen this kind of like fail or what implementation elements have been missing when this doesn't work? We've seen really good projects fail when you have companies that have not really decided that this is the path for them. Mm-hmm. And you know, it goes back a little to what we were talking about, which is do customers make decisions solely in the product that you provide or the experience that they have in buying it and using it and getting it serviced? And of course, to me, it's the latter because, you know, you sit there and find out and ask someone about a buying experience and they're like, well, I go to the store because it's close to my house and, you know, the place is clean, the people are friendly, there's a self-checkout aisle, you know, et cetera. And, and you're like, hold on, but how, how's the product? Like, well, it's the product. Um, and you're explaining all about the experience <laughs> and you're like, um, so when you have companies that one, yeah, are rooted in thinking about themselves as like people bias because of this product versus thinking about um, our job is to make sure that people have access to this product easily, quickly. And we're also rooted in making sure our customers are wildly successful with the product. Suddenly you're like, ah, I love that company. I'm going to go back to them because they've helped me have great enjoyment or achieved great outcomes that I have myself. And so you're like, you have this allegiance to companies that have supported you in your journey to live your best life. Well, I wonder too, that made me think of, there's a clothing company that I buy a ton of clothes from that I'm like, I'm not sure these actually fit me that well, but they like have this amazing community and it's very uplifting. And I'm like, I'm part of something, you know? And <laughs> so I, I spend a ton of money with them. And like, I wonder how much starting with the human experience coming from the brand and then bringing in the community is that sort of like lightning in a bottle factor where you're just like, oh, I have to be a part of this. There's like a community factor too that is enhanced by starting with the human element. Yeah, so this is, you know, you get down to like the mission, you know? Yeah. And and you can sit there and just quickly rattle off like, why do you buy Apple? You know, Apple cares about my security. You know, why do I buy Patagonia? Because it's aligned philosophically. And I feel like every mm-hmm. time I buy something from them, I'm doing something good towards sustainability, towards preserving nature. And so you think about how brands have gone deep into their mission that aligns with people who then say, you know what, every time I buy something from Patagonia or do this, it's aligned with what I'm trying to get out of life mm-hmm. and how I want to sort of participate. And I think of, you know, um, 
Yeah, we're just uh, down in Austin at the American Banker, uh, the digital banking show. And I was introducing uh, Tim Welsh, who's the vice chairman of U.S. Bank, and he was talking about what the bank's mission was, was about powering potential, about helping customers Mm -hmm. live their best lives. And he's like, you know, no one cares about banking, but money becomes part of the currency that helps them buy things that they need create opportunities like a space to raise a family by having a house, all these things that money becomes a tool and a means to be able to live a really productive and satisfying life. And, you know, he's talking about that as the mission of the bank, not like, look, we've got these great rates and we've got Mm -hmm. this and that. And look, you get points awards with your credit cards. You know, he's talking about, gosh, you know what? We need to like make sure that we make it simple. You know, we need to find ways to really think about removing the burden that their customers have so they can focus on living their life. You know, Tim was saying something like, you know, people don't wake up to see what new features that we've added to the <laughs> app. But the part that we're trying to do is recognize that, you know, mobile is kind of democratizes that technology because some people don't have internet access, some people don't have a laptop, but like everybody has a smartphone. And if we can create technology that gives people access that democratizes and and almost sort of like it levels the playing field that suddenly says we can give people access to everything that we've got right here at the touch of their finger that sits in their pocket. Suddenly we realize we can really power that human potential. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the whole thing about like there's several banks that don't even have branches anymore, right? Like they're entrusting everything, all their entire customer experience to an app or to the internet or whatever, which you know has met with some success and some failure. But it is that. It's what are you doing to give the customer the peace of mind with their access to their money, which is the foundation of the things that they want to pursue in life. And I think the back to some of the failures, you know, one of the things that Tim Welsh was talking about was, you know, this is a directive from above. Humans don't like change. You know, the wheelbarrow rut is deep. And <laughs> when you sit there and you're like, this is kind of like business process re-engineering. You know, we're going to communicate, we're going to connect, we're going to change this entire workflow to connect with our, in, engage our customers completely differently. And that takes rigor and discipline to sit there and be like, we're going to get to the other side. And the top people, the leadership need to sit there and be like, we believe this is our future. It's going to lead us down the right path so that it permeates down and gives people who are actually doing the work on the front lines the opportunity to learn, to make mistakes, but to figure out how to do this and to participate in the process. Empowered by technology, invisibly, all in the background. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Always with the technology. (laughs) Right. Probably the most obvious example of invisibility is like Apple Pay. You know, you walk to the store, you're like, boop, I didn't disclose my credit card or any of my personal information. It got paid with a token and it's at the tip of my fingers. So I didn't have to like go out, open up a banking app, figure out the stuff, you know, create a payment. Mm -hmm. Who am I? What's your name? How did I spell it correctly? And go through and make a a payment. It just was easily accessible. It was at the touch of a fingertip. I was able to do it. 
they became invisible and they also became part of the process. They were able to insert themselves into the journey versus like, hold on, got to stop the journey, take a left-hand turn, go out to whatever I need, whether it's a bank or whatever company is and do something that's not part of that journey and then rejoin the journey. Right. You're like, that's too much yeah. friction. Invisible and ubiquitous in that case. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I think invisible also sort of speaks to the fact that when you start thinking about these types of journeys, and especially when you get down to like the experience that you want to have, you know, experiences like this um, become an opportunity to kind of like extend the brand and to take that brand experience and push it into a new realm and recognizing that you do that by embedding technology. So it's not this you know, left or right fork to get to the technology that is actually embedded into the workflow, that it's in brand so that suddenly you're like, this is something that we might sell, you know, like we sell advice and it suddenly affords that opportunity. When you really take that mindset, this is what gives companies that opportunity to be like, maybe we are in the advice business. Maybe we're in the business of making our customers really successful with their investment career or whatever it might be. And you suddenly change the thinking because it's a mindset shift. It's a mindset shift to really say, we sell experiences, we create them, and these are the types of outcomes that we have, whatever business we're in. And when you have those mindset shifts, and especially thinking about, you know, deeply about what that journey looks like, that's where suddenly a world of possibilities opens up. I've learned so much from Tom today. Let's debrief. First, put human connection first. Pair your customer with a personal agent and support that relationship with technology that enables real-time communication, secure co-browsing, video chat, and all that with no downloads required. This will hook customers by creating an emotional connection with your brand, and that personal attention feels like an affordable luxury. Second, hold your customer experience to the same standards as other consumer experiences, or better, aim higher. Customers today expect real-time transactions that are simple, seamless, and easy, because that's what they're used to when they say, order from Amazon. And third, assign someone on your team the responsibility of owning the customer journey. That person or those people will act as the interface between silos and create a unified approach to the customer experience. So I uh, I think we've cracked the case of the invisible technology. I'd love to head over to the HGS pub and uh, throw back your drink of choice with you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the virtual pub. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going over. So your Twitter bio says you're in search of Epicurean mastery. Where are you at on this particular journey? I've been deep into doing uh, a bunch of different pastries. I've also been trying to do Asian fusion. And I just recently made this wonderful strawberry rhubarb galette. And so I I love fruit. Uh, I love different types of pastries and pies. And so I have a lot of fun just making those things. But Asian fusion is kind of like where my next uh, phase is because there's so many wonderful flavors and textures to sort of play with. And, and so that's kind of like yeah. where I'm at. So what's your learning style? Like, are you reading from cookbooks? Are you watching YouTube videos? Do you have an expert on demand that you're calling <laughs> and video chatting with? Uh- <laughs> 
you know, I've done a lot of experimentation and I think of like, you know, when you think about the basis of good food, it's really a balance between, you know, acid and fat. You know, that's why people are like, oh yeah, like the tomato mozzarella, the tomatoes, the acid and the mozzarella is the fat. And so you sit there and of course, like salad dressing, balsamic you know, oil, and you realize that it's those types of balances that uh, become the foundation for all those types of decisions that you're making. So I tend to you know, look at like America's Test Kitchen, the New York Times Cooking, and I'll take things and I'll start to iterate from them. So I'll take those as kind of like ideas and then I'll start to play with them. I'm like, oh, I'm going to swap this for this, swap this for this, because once you understand what those values are, then you can sit there and understand like how you might be able to swap them to try different things out. So um, I do probably more reading than I do YouTube because I've just done enough cooking myself that I'm I'm looking for what yeah. other people are experimenting uh, because you know if you go back to the days of uh, like Jacques Pepin he always talks about gourmet is an accident you know you dis- <laughs> you discover it through experimentation yeah i love that i love that style of cooking um and then you're an avid outdoorsman to work off all of the cooking and pastries that you make right yeah you know um <laughs> the i always ask people like my best day is when I spend more time outside. Of course, you know, here I am indoors, Same. but I'm I'm going to be outdoors. And so I love being out in the mountains. Uh, and I'm not sure why I'm drawn to mountains, but I've done tons of uh, mountain climbing, mountaineering, doing like, hey, we're going to do a 24-hour assault on uh, Mount Rainier, what have you. So yeah, I love being outdoors. I love being on bikes. I love backcountry skiing. There's nothing more beautiful in the entire world than nature. And so when you can experience it in its full, grandiose way, whether it's in the winter or in the summer, what have you, I think it's just a wonderful medium. And it gives me that opportunity to really think and process. I always come out from being time in nature with like, aha, Mm -hmm. I needed that for clarity. (laughs) Totally. Okay, last question. What's your favorite outdoor adventure you've ever had? Was it a ski, climb, ride? I know that's really hard. I know that is so hard because I have so many, but um, I will tell you probably one of the most uh, recent ones that I had was within this past year, my daughter and I went up uh, Tioga Pass uh, and we skied, backcountry skied in May up to the summit of uh, False White Mountain. So we're deep in, in Yosemite, out there with nobody around, experiencing kind of like that late spring snow and being out in uh, nature. And of course, doing it with my daughter. Yeah. It was like, wow, this is awesome. And I'm like, aha. Like, you know, <laughs> she sees it too. And uh, she's like, we have to do more of this. I was like, I've been waiting for you to say this a long time. So <laughs> that was probably one of the best experiences I've had. Uh, That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. This has been awesome. You have incredible insights and um, it's just been really wonderful to chat with you. So thank you. Lisa, thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to CX Detectives brought to you by HGS. If you liked what you heard today, tell a friend, a colleague, or just shout your love from the mountaintops. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Next time there's a CX case to be solved, we'll be there. This podcast is brought to you by HGS, a global leader in optimizing the customer experience lifecycle, digital transformation, and business process management. 
HGS is helping its clients become more competitive every day. Learn more at hgs.cx.